focus all of our attention on you, God, and just to put away anything that is distracting or things that um, we worry about, God. I just pray that you we can leave it all up to you in your hands and focus on what you have to say to us tonight. And um, in your name, amen. Hi, Unicorn. Can we all stand for a time of worship? Your faithfulness, oh God. 
Dear God, thank you for this day that we're able to come to Unicoi and worship you, Lord. I pray that as Kevin comes up to preach his message, that we will all just open up our hearts and listen attentively so that we can apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Hi guys, I'm going to be giving the announcements for today. So the first announcement is that youth service is reopening. So there's youth service every Sunday, which is during second session from 1045 to 12 p.m. And there's also youth Sunday school every week before youth, um, youth service, which is at 9 a.m. And junior high is in room 213 and high school is in room 214 to 215. So the high schoolers are going through the doctrines. So you should join us. Yeah. Um, and then there's the next announcement is that there's no youth prayer service this, this Wednesday. Oh, there is. Sorry, that was a mistake. Just kidding. <laughs> there is youth prayer meeting this Wednesday. Um, and also the last announcement is to not enter the MAC until after 940 so that parents can pick up their children from Oana. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> yes. All right. It's great to see you guys again. I wasn't here last Friday. I was in Alabama for a conference. So you guys had Aaron um, preach on the parable of the talents. And uh, before we even jump into uh, the sermon, um, something we want to um, ask you guys to do actually before we even start the sermon is to power down your phones um, as we start the sermon. The reason why is because uh, we noticed that that's a distraction and I'm not sure if we can handle having phones on. Um, and we, what we want to do is if you need to use your phone, we uh, encourage you guys to bring your paper Bibles, um, something like this, because I know uh, there's very, there, there is a rare person who does use their phone to take notes. They do use your phone to um, read the Bible. But we also know that if one student sees another student using, um, using uh, their phone, they'll be more likely to do that as well. So go ahead and right now, please power down your phones. Um, and not because of me, but out of respect for this environment, that when we hear the preaching of God's word, we believe that God's word is a living God revealing himself to us. So it's not just a random person like me reading a random textbook. This book is, it's living and active. And so we want to protect that environment. So um, please respect the environment that we're doing here. Um, if you don't believe in God, we're just happy you're here. We, we love that you're here. Uh, we want to engage with you guys in a loving dialogue. Um, but please just respect what we're trying to do uh, right now. So uh, if we do see a phone out, I have instructed the counselors to take it away and we'll give it back to you by the end of Unicoi. We're not trying to be mean, um, but if we don't do that, then you guys 
won't really take us seriously. So um, please put your phones away. And uh, if you have any issues, please talk to me afterwards and I will kindly re-explain what I just said. Um, so with that, let me pray. And then afterwards, go into the sermon. And afterwards, we'll have small groups around, I believe like 8.30, 8.40, something like that. So well, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for another Friday. It's been maybe a long week for some of us. Maybe we didn't have a great week. Maybe some of us had an amazing week. Um, but what matters, Lord, is that we're here and now we can't necessarily change what happened this past week. And uh, the burdens that we hold, we, we bring before you, God. We, we know that you love us and you understand what we're going through. And the preaching of your word today has the power to change our hearts. Lord, may we be attentive. If we find ourselves bored, help us to fight against that. And to, uh, even if we're bored, that we can restrain ourselves from distracting other people um, because other people might be here to, to learn. So God, I pray that you would speak um, through me and that um, you would just um, transform us to be more and more like you, to know you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. How many of you guys here today are um, older siblings? Older siblings. Anyone older siblings? Okay, cool. <laughs> How many of you guys here are uh, the younger siblings? Whoa, there's a lot more younger sibling. <laughs> um, how about, how many of you guys are both? Like you have both older and younger. Okay, cool. Wow. Um, I can probably relate to the ones who um, raise your hand for older and younger because I was the middle child growing up. Any middle middle child people? Oh, hey. <laughs> understand you guys. <laughs> We're the peacemakers, sort of. Um, I want to talk about a time when my little brother annoyed the... Um, he just annoyed me <laughs> a lot. And um, I was like a kid. And actually yeah, here I am and sometimes if you're the older brother which in this case I was sometimes you find your younger sibling really annoying right yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I see someone nodding their head really with a lot of excitement there um and I remember it was like either my birthday I think I was actually going on like a trip to Washington DC and I was uh, before I left I was at my grandpa's house and before I left I think he gave me a red envelope I'm like oh my gosh money Yes, I love money <laughs> more. And I remember being really excited and um, getting to the car and like, kind of like, oh my gosh, I got money. Go and go and give me money or, or yeah, yeah. I, I forgot which one he was. Um, and my, yes, you know, Chinese know better than me, but my younger brother's like, ma, that's not fair. How come he gets money and I don't? And I'm like, you know, like, shut up, you little dummy. Like I'm the, I'm the one going on a trip. Um, and I said, you'll have your birthday in a couple months. Like, why, why do you have to complain? And he kept complaining to my mom. My mom finally said, fine, uh, Ming, share, share your money. That's my Chinese name. Like, share, share the money. I'm like, what? Why? Like, I'm going to Washington DC. Like, why is my little brother like half, why does he get the money that I deserved or I, or I earned? Not that I really earned it in the first place. And we went back and forth. And eventually I had to fork over a $20 bill to my younger brother. And um, yeah, I, I hated him that moment for, for that. Because um, in my mind, I felt like that's mine. Like I, I earned it or I deserved it somehow. 
And I share that story about sibling rivalry because we're going to see a lot of that in today's passage. Um, and the concept of, I earned this, I deserve this is going to come up in today's passage as it did for me. I thought I earned uh, this, this money, but actually it was, it was a gift. There's nothing I really did to earn it. And we're going to see today in the parable of the prodigal son, part two, what that's all about. And last week, we actually didn't do part one. The week before we unpacked part one, and I want to finish up uh, this two-part uh, parable. So if you weren't here two weeks ago, I want to give a little recap. So if we can go to the next slide. Um, I'm just going to read. I already shared this two weeks ago, so I'm going to go this, through this really quick. Um, there's two sons in the story. The father's in the middle. The younger son demands money, um, then inheritance, which he only got when the father died. And so uh, it was really disrespectful. But he gets the money and he goes off and he lives a wild lifestyle. And I told you guys in week one or part one, pay attention to the older brother. The older brother is on the very left side. He's actually the focus of this parable. Maybe you guys grew up in Sunday school thinking, oh, it's, you know, that's the younger brother who's the focus. He's the guy who gets forgiven. But actually, this parable is geared at the older brother. And we're going to see why today. And go to the next slide, please. Um, Younger brother ends up in a pigsty. He wastes all his money. He sleeps around with prostitutes. He basically is at the end of his rope and realizes, you know what? Um, my servants at my father's house, they get treated much better than I do. And he decides he's going to go back home. And then when he goes home, if we go to the next slide, um, his dad, against all odds, is happy, ecstatic, eager to see his younger son, even though he um, was largely disrespectful and basically um, disrespected him. And so um, now we're going to see about the older son, how he responds. And so uh, the preview for today's sermon, if we go to the next slide, uh, part one is we're going to explain the narrative. So we're going to go through the passage today. And then part two is we're going to talk about the so what, uh, meaning I heard the story. Well, now what? What am I supposed to do with the story? What is a theological implication? Uh, if you're new here today, uh, Theology, theological, it just means the study of God. Biology, study of uh, life, probably. <laughs> uh, theology, study of God, theos, that means God. Um, so what does this really mean? So if you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a paper Bible, maybe you can look uh, to your neighbor. Um, and next, next time, we will definitely um, have some paper Bibles. I forgot to bring that <laughs> downstairs, actually. Um, but just, just listen along if... If so, actually, my, Moses is going along. He's, he has some bi paper Bibles. Um, <laughs> there might be made in the first row of Moses. We might need one or two more. But uh, yeah, turn to Luke 15 while you guys are getting there. Luke 15. Okay. Um, let's, uh, looks like a lot of you guys are there. Um, and let me start reading. If you guys don't have your Bibles, um, I think we might have someone come around with some Bibles in a bit. Um, and next, or next week, we'll for sure have some paper Bibles. But listen along, uh, Luke 15, starting in verse uh, 25. And remember, uh, this is a scene when the older brother walks back to the house and he hears a party 
And it's the feast that his father threw for his younger son. And we're going to see that the younger, the older son is actually really angry. So let's see what happens in verses 25 to 27. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf, but he received him back safe and sound. Let's stop there. Um, oh, thank you, John. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's right there. Um, so that is the first passage. If you can turn to the next slide, I have, I think, a, a picture of um, older brother comes home and he sees a party. He sees the fattened calf being cooked up. And he's like, what's going on? Like, it's, it's, a, it's probably a weekday because he was working that day. Uh, maybe like, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday. And normally, you know, there's not festivities at, at home on, on a weekday. And he's, what's going on? He calls his servant, like, what, what's, why is there, did a celebrity come by the house? But no, his brother came back, his younger brother. And I want you right now to imagine how the older brother must have felt all these years. Imagine the amount of spite and hate and disgust that must have accumulated in his heart over all these years. Because imagine like when the younger brother ran off with the money, they probably had friends asking them, hey, like what happened? My mom told me like that something happened to your family, like your brother moved out, like he demanded the money. Maybe relatives would come over and ask him like, why would you give your brother that money? Why would your dad give your brother that money? And maybe in the community, it was a largely shameful event for that to happen. And so you can imagine the older brother who's in for a surprise when he sees a party for his brother and a servant whispers like, didn't you hear your brother's is back? Come on, let's, let's go home. Your, your, your dad killed the fattened calf. Uh, it's like, you know, at home, if your parents have like a hundred year bottle of wine that they never open, it's just there. You don't know why it's like, Hey, mom, dad, when are you going to open that? Yeah, probably for a special occasion, but that's what's happening here. This is a special, special occasion that they are killing the fattened calf for their younger brother. And this is insulting. And instead of responding in happiness, like, oh, he's back. Well, let's go celebrate. He responds in anger. So let's see how he responds in verses 28 to 30. Listen along. Uh, Luke 15 verses 28 to 30. But he was angry and refused to go in. This is the older brother. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Let's stop there. So, He's really angry. And if we go to the next slide, uh, we have an angry older brother. He doesn't want to go inside the house. But this father, he tries to convince him. But the older brother, he's thinking, what are we celebrating? I, I hate my younger brother. Dad, don't you remember what he did to you? He took one third of the family inheritance. Why are you happy that he's back? Why are we celebrating this? And his dad entreats him, convinces him, tries to persuade him. Son, let's, let's, let's go in. Let, let's go into the house. Let's celebrate. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. 
right? Let's go welcome him back. And this, this older brother, I want you to pay attention to his words because it, it exposes the point of this parable. Remember, Jesus said this parable to a large crowd. And the, this older brother represents the Pharisees in the crowd, the people who are very legalistic. Uh, the Pharisees, they're basically religious scribes back then. They believed that if you could keep the Old Testament law, then you could secure righteousness, that you would be good before God. And this older brother is supposed to represent the Pharisees. And let's, let's look at what the older brother says. Look at verse 29 again. He says, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What is that underlying belief? The underlying belief is that if I obey dad's laws, if I obey dad's rules, then I earn dad's love and blessing. It's a, if you're in math, there's an if then statement, if blank, then blank. Sorry to remind you, but this is the heart of legalism. Um, for example, if I'm hungry, then I will eat. It's a very um, cause and effect. And legalism basically says, if I obey God's law, I earn God's love. And that's the operational thinking that the older brother is working out of. It all breaks down when, wait, but this younger brother disobeyed dad's rules. Why is he getting dad's love and blessing? The equation kind of breaks down. He slept with prostitutes. He took our money and left. He lived a wild lifestyle. Dad, he broke your rules, but he's getting your love. That, that doesn't make sense. Why is that happening? I, I served you. Dad, I was here the entire time. I never left you. How come I didn't get a party for my friends? How come you didn't kill um, a calf or a goat for me? And this is the older brother. And when I was reading this, and maybe you'll relate with this too, I actually agreed with the older brother, my first impulse. I kind of thought, but that kind of makes sense. I mean, the older brother, wasn't he the good son? He stayed home. He didn't disobey dad's rules. But this younger son, he came back and he gets everything. He gets rewarded. That, that doesn't make sense because like, if I don't do my dishes, I get grounded. Um, so it's like, if I don't do the dishes, I get rewarded. Like, why is that? How's that makes any sense? And it is truly outrageous that this father would receive the younger son back with open hands and throw a feast. But I want you to see now how the father responds. Look now at verses 31 to 32. This is how he responds to the anger of his older son. Verse 31 says, and he, the father, said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's stop there. And that actually uh, concludes our, our parable uh, for today. That phrase Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. In a sense, he's saying, son, everything I have is yours anyways. My greatest gift that I can give to you and my love, you already have it. 
you have my love. Son, I've always loved you. Whether or not you did anything to deserve it, you're always underneath my care and provision. That clothes on your back, the food on your table, you already had my love. And so your younger brother, we thought he was dead. He didn't come back for so long. We thought he was lost, but he's back. So it's only fitting that we celebrate with him. And I want you to notice that that phrase actually happens twice. The, the phrase, your brother was dead and alive. He was lost and is found. That, that occurs at the very final sentence of this parable in verse 32. But it also appears in verse 24. Um, when the father explains to his servants um, why they should kill the, the fattened calf. He says, verse 24, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He says it twice, and it's really important because it shows the heart of the Father. And with that, Jesus ends his parable. Now, if you were in the audience back then, you know how you might have felt if you're a Pharisee? You would have been shocked. Why? Because the younger brother who was immoral, he was sexually promiscuous, he was wild, he was actually received back into the arms of the father that offended the Pharisees. But not only that, the older brother who kept all the rules, just like the Pharisees, the story ends without revealing. Did the older brother go into the house to celebrate or did he remain outside in his arrogance and refuse to go in? And it's actually the older brother who we don't know what happens to him. He kept the rules his entire life, but in this very last moment, we see his heart for what he actually is. And I think when we grow up hearing this story, we think it's the younger brother who's lost. But actually, we have two brothers in the story that are lost. The younger brother, but also the older brother. Because the older brother, he didn't truly understand the love of his father. And he was just as lost as the younger brother. And I wonder if that hits home, that you can be a good person but that very concept of being good can be an obstacle between you and God. That is what happens to Pharisees. And Pharisees aren't just people back then. I think all of us, we have a little Pharisee in our heart as well, that if we do the right things, that we're good, that we, we earned our place. We're, we're not the worst person in the world, but we're not that bad. And there's a Pharisee in all of us that needs to reckon, we have to recognize that that's a reality. And you can, if you're sitting there in the crowd, you can imagine the hush silence of the audience. Well, for the sinners and tax collectors who are overjoyed, but the Pharisees who are dumbfounded. And so as I conclude the explanation of the parable, we have to ask the question, why does this matter? How can this trickle down to our life? And if we go to the first slide, I want, or first point, I want to explain a bit about what legalism is. We all have a heart of legalism within us, and I want to define it as simply following a system of rules and regulations to achieve salvation and growth. Now, that's a very simple explanation I found online, and that is what drove the Pharisees. They were strict adherents to the Old Testament law. They followed it to a T, but we're going to see in the story that it's not enough. And we go to the next uh, point. I want to explain some potential legalistic if-then statements, which could be kind of surprising. The first one is, 
If I obey God's rule, then I will earn God's love. That seems like it would make sense, but that's actually the heart of the Pharisee. That's actually the heart of the Old Testament, that you have to do something to secure something. And then by contrast, the next point, uh, we get that. If I disobey God's rule, then I will lose God's love. That's the opposite of the other side of the coin. And if you believe this, which you might not admit out loud, but maybe there's some of you right now that deep down, this is how you operate in your, in your world, your, your worldview. I don't blame you because isn't this what our world is built on rewards and consequences that if we cheat on a test, well, we'll, we'll get detention or we'll get written up. So we live in a world of rewards and consequences, but in the gospel, we already know that everyone has lost. Everyone is condemned. Everyone is a sinner. And there's no way we can earn God's love. He has to rescue us. And so this is something that can really play into, like, for example, if uh, think about the last time you sinned or did something wrong this past week, how did you feel? You probably felt an immense amount of guilt and shame. Like, how could God ever uh, love me again? Well, that's the legalist mindset that because you sinned, you think God doesn't love you anymore. I want you to kind of unpack that because the next time you think that thought, I want you to have the know-how to say, actually, that's actually very legalistic. That's very unbiblical because where do we see that in the Bible? So this creeps in more than we, we think. And if we go to the next, uh, next point, legalism, it leads to uh, number one, and an inflated view of yourself. If we are people um, led by legalism, we tend to think that we're better than we actually are. We sometimes look at the way we read our Bible, how much we pray, how much we're involved at church, how much, how much we attend church on Fridays and Sundays. And slowly we tend to think, wow, well, look at me. Look, look at what I'm doing. We tend to overestimate how good we actually are that we know we don't go to parties, that we only cheat if we're on a B plus, A minus, uh, that we you know, stack chairs after service. And this is a very warped view of ourself, but it doesn't just change our view of ourselves. Our next point, we're going to see that it, um, we have a judgmental view of other people, that not only do we think we're better than we actually are, but we actually begin to be very critical and judgmental. Remember the older brother in this story, he scoffed at his younger brother. He thought, why are we throwing a party for my younger brother? He, he doesn't deserve that. And same with me and my younger brother. Like, why does he get money? Like, he, he doesn't deserve that. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we look down on other people. We think, well, I mean, we're not bad as so-and-so. They, um, they, 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 they do drugs on the weekend. They, um, they cheat on their tests. They, they don't show up to, to Sunday school like, man, I go to Sunday school, Unicoi, um, and youth service. I, I go to all three things. And maybe you begin to look down on people who only go to one out of three or, or two out of three. I remember Hanley would tell me a story uh, before I got here um, that he had to almost rebuke some of the youth years ago because at a retreat, they would look at the other churches uh, from another church and, and they were using a different version of the Bible. They, they weren't using what I guess we tend to use the ESV they would whisper like, oh, wow, they're using NIV. <laughs> Look at them. They must be on a lower spiritual class. And then Hanley told me he realized that I was really hypocritical. 
that was very arrogant. That was very legalistic. Um, it, it could be, wow, your church uh, plays Hillsong. Yeah, that, nope, I'm out. Like, this is not the right church to be at. That's really legalistic and hypocritical. Um, you don't take notes during sermons. Wow, are you even paying attention? That, that could be another legalistic mindset. Um, oh, your Instagram bio, you don't mention a Bible verse? Oh, you must be not be very mature. You know, you know, things like that where you think that we look down on people because they don't follow a certain, I guess, code of ethics. When in reality, when did Jesus ever say you have to do this, this, and that, that in order to be saved? When did that ever happen? But the Pharisees, and maybe some part of us, we tend to think that way. If we go to the last point, finally, and maybe ultimately, we have a diminished view of God's grace. Because when we think we can keep the law, we tend to think, hey, we're pretty good people. Why do we need God's grace? I mean, yes, I do sin. So I do need God's grace again to heaven. But I mean, I kind of helped God out a little bit. I, I was already almost there when he got to me. And we become very demanding, like the older brother. And sometimes that can, if you ever thought this, God, why would you let this happen to my life? God, why did you allow me to fail that test? God, why would you allow this horrible thing to happen to me? That is us basically saying, God, I lived a good life and I deserve your blessing. Do you kind of see how legalistic that can be? I obey God and I deserve and earn his blessing. But that is um, the heart of legalism, that we can earn God's favor. But the heart of Christianity is nothing can be further from the truth. So what's the opposite of this? Well, if we go to the first point, we need to understand grace. If we understand grace, then that can kind of peel back the, um, the unhealthy layers of legalism. Grace is, says that everybody is lost. It's not just the terrorists and the murderers and the cheaters. Everybody is lost. But also, everyone is loved by God. It doesn't mean that everyone is saved because we know that not everybody goes to heaven, but everybody is loved. And everyone who repents will experience the grace of God. If you do have your Bibles, uh, which you guys, most of you guys do, uh, turn to Ephesians. That's a couple books after uh, Luke. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter two. If the older brother in this story read this, this might change his heart. Ephesians chapter two. I'm actually going to read from verses one to one to 10. And it's on the screen if you guys ever want to. Thank you, John, for getting that up. If we understand this, this changes our life entirely. Let's look at verses one. This is uh, Paul writing. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, meaning we deserve hell, like the rest of mankind. That's bad news. But now look at verse four. This is when everything changes and shifts. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship meaning like masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's stop there. If you understand and cherish that passage, you understand the gospel. You understand the realities of humanity that everybody is dead in sin. Everybody is lost. And apart from Christ, we are all headed towards hell. We are all headed towards eternal condemnation. But God changes that. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy, he changes that. He rescues us. And that's why grace is completely different from legalism. That's why Christianity is fundamentally different from every religion on earth. Because it's based on the grace of God through Christ Jesus for your sins. If we can go back to uh, the PowerPoint slide. Now let's look at the new if-then statements. The first one, if I obey God, then I am fully loved by him, not because of my works, but because of his grace. That is the foundation of God's love for me. But let's look at the flip side. What if, what if I sin? The second point, if I disobey God, then I am still fully loved. Um, my eyes are bad. <laughs> Uh, by him, though I, though I may still experience natural consequences of my sin. Let me explain that. So just because you sin, it doesn't mean there aren't any consequences. Just because you, you um, let's say you, you, you cheat on a test. If your parents should ought to still love you, but that doesn't mean you're, you still won't have to serve detention. It just means you haven't lost out on the love of your parent. The consequences still remain. If, if you steal a car and you go joyriding and you get into a car accident, your parents ought to still love you, but that can't fix the fact that you broke five bones and you probably have to take a couple months to heal. Consequences will still be there when you sin, but that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. And that is the foundation of grace. And that's why it's fundamentally different than legalism. So the next time that you disobey God, that you sin and you feel this guilt and shame, remember the principles of grace. God still loves you. God has not left you. His love is just as strong towards you uh, when you are obeying him compared to disobeying him. His love doesn't change. There might be consequences naturally of your sin, but his love does not change. And if we go to the next point, this changes how we see others, God, and ourselves. The first one, we're going to have an accurate view of myself. Um, the more you study uh, Christianity, you'll, you'll encounter something like um, the idea that if you're a Christian, you're both a sinner and a saint. That must feel really weird for you guys. Cause maybe, you know, like, well, I'm a sinner. Like I'm not a saint. Those are those Catholic pictures in the, you know, the churches that that's not me. But actually, that, that is you. Because what is a saint? Someone who's perfect. If you're a Christian, you're, in some sense, you're actually perfect. 
And you're thinking, no, I'm not. I just sinned today. Well, here's how you're perfect. Not that you're perfect, but when you believe and trust in Jesus, his perfect record is transferred to you. So that's why when you die and stand before God, he doesn't see the life you live, which is broken. He sees the perfect record of Jesus um, extended to you. That's why you can be considered a saint in God's eyes. Actually, in this moment, you're a saint. But in addition to that, we still live on a fallen earth and we, we still struggle with sin. We, we, still, we still struggle with the brokenness and we still are led aside by our uh, sinful desires. So you'll have an accurate view of yourself that you are a saint if you are a Christian. But at the same time, you will still struggle with sin and that will never go away until you die and are with the Lord in heaven. You're fully glorified and sanctified. But at least you have a better view of yourself. And that's an important thing. The second thing is a gracious view towards other sinners. If you understand that you're saved by grace, not because of your own works, you will become less and less judgmental. You'll see your classmate or your friend at church who maybe they, they sleep around with other people or maybe they cheat on tests and you'll begin to have empathy. You'll begin to understand like, you know what? Am I really that much better? Like there's something in my heart that maybe wants to do that too. Am I really that much worse than that person? And you'll begin to have a gracious, gentle understanding towards other people. And lastly, on the last point, you'll have a, a thankful view towards God's grace. You'll see God's grace and they will just move you to tears um, in certain moments. It'll move you to gratitude and you'll recognize, God, I am truly a sinner saved by grace. And when you get to that uh, place in your life, it'll change you. Let me have a, let me ask you guys to do an imagination exercise. Um, imagine that you are at the gates of heaven. Uh, you're not being judged by God. You're just there. You're just watching who's going in, who's being rejected. Um, and you're just, you know, a fly on the wall observing everything. And I want you to imagine that someone is approved and walks through the gates. You read their name tag. Imagine they have a name tag. And it says Osama bin Laden, the terrorist mastermind behind the 9-11 attacks at the World Trade Center that killed uh, 3,000 people. Some of your reaction, I can I relate to you. You're probably thinking, what's he doing there? Like he deserves in the other place, the, the bad place. Why is he in heaven? I have no idea if this is true because this is imagination exercise, but I want you to imagine for a moment, if you will, that moments before American soldiers broke down his house um, and shot him to death, that in those moments, he recognized the absolute evil of his actions, that he realized that his actions led to the death of 3,000 souls, and he realized he deserved hell. And in that moment, let's imagine he gave his life to Jesus, and he said, God, I need you. God, I trust in the blood of your son, Jesus. I don't know if you're actually, if I, I'll send your, your grace, but if you have mercy on me, Lord, I'm here. I'll, I'll take it. Imagine if that happened, then what you see in this imagination exercise is actually legitimate. And as Osama bin Laden walks through those gates, imagine God, angel, <clears throat> angels, other Christians who are not like, what are you doing here? But they are shouting, 
not like, what the, you know, but like, yes, Osama, you're here. We're, we're so happy to see you. And this feels like maybe so un-American for me to say this, but they are celebrating. We have a seat for you at the, at the feast. Our father, God, he, he made a room for you. We're so happy you're here. And if this makes you incredibly uncomfortable, then now you're understanding the grace of God. Now you understand why it's so offensive because the grace of God is so incredible. It can save the worst of sinners, people who are so far gone from the love of God. Now you see why people are offended. Now you see why the older brother hated his younger brother. You understand why he was disgusted that his father would extend grace to his rotten, rotten younger brother. Now, if you are disgusted by this imagination exercise, I want you to consider yourself. What does that say about you? Do you think that you're good enough to get to heaven? And someone like Osama bin Laden is bad enough? Remember Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might not have bombed a building and killed 3,000 people, but you're actually in the same category. If you and a terrorist stood before God and you don't know Jesus, you're going to the same place. It really doesn't matter if you never killed anybody. If you've sinned once in your life, that is a stench to a holy God who cannot stand for any sort of sin. And that is why Ephesians 2 is so beautiful. But God in his mercy saved us. And that is why it's the grace of God. If we understand this, this changes your life completely. My big idea for today, first, legalism pressures you to perform in order to earn God's love while you judge others. This is bad. Let me make that clear. But God's grace that we see in the Father, it frees us to find lasting joy in Christ and extend the same grace to other sinners. This is the heart of grace. And you know what makes me sad? The reputation of Christians really damages what Christianity is all about. It's sad when you see Christians argue online on social media, tearing down, mocking the other side, when that doesn't reflect our father, that doesn't reflect God. No wonder people leave the church. No wonder people don't want to, um, they aren't interested in Christianity because Christians give off a bad reputation. But the more you walk and understand the grace of God, the more you begin to be more gracious and patient towards other people. So I want to talk to, as I conclude, I want, I want to leave final words for two types of people in this room. To the non-Christian in this room, or if you're not really sure where you're at in your faith, I want you to truly know that you are not, you are never beyond God's grace in this lifetime. Now, there will come a time when we all die, and basically the Bible says, that's it, time is up. But right now on this earth, while you still have breath, that is the grace of God. And if you're a non-Christian, this parable is for you. That younger brother, the sinner, uh, the sexually promiscuous sinner, I hope you see the outrageous love of the Father. And I hope you see that it's for you and that you, have, you are not outside the boundaries of his love. It's why he sent his son, Jesus, 
to die on the cross for you 2000 years ago. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a fable. We actually believe that. And it's true. And it changes all of history. And we hope that you trust in the love of Jesus who died for your sins. And that's the first group of person, uh, people I want to speak with. And lastly, I want to speak to the Christians in this room. If you've been a Christian for a while, um, you may, like me, see that the poison of legalism has crept into your heart. You may have maybe unknowingly realized that maybe I'm a little prideful. It's kind of easy to look down on other people. And as your pastor, let me be honest, I have those thoughts too. I see certain people and I think, what are they doing? Like, what's wrong with them? And I realize the older brother mentality, it's in my heart too. And I, this reminders for all of us that apart from the grace of Christ, we would be on a one-way ticket to hell, lost for all eternity. It was nothing but the grace of God that saved you and I. And so we have no, no grounds for boasting except in the cross of Christ. And I want to leave that as a reminder for the Christians here today. And may you walk and be the aroma of Christ to those around us. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, we, we come before you and we acknowledge that we are sinners, wretched sinners in need of your grace. Lord, we, we know that um, your word declares the gospel, that those who trust in the blood of your son, Jesus, and repent, they will be saved. I pray for the student here who's not really sure what they believe. They don't really know if they embrace this Christianity stuff but for some reason they're here. Lord, I pray that they would know your love for them, that the living God of the universe, the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, this, these, are the, these are realities that are not um, fake or made up. I pray that you would work in the hearts of the non-believers and the struggling skeptics here today. And God, I pray for um, the Christians here, Lord. Lord, Keep us from arrogance, um, being legalistic and looking down on other people. I pray, God, that your grace would never stop to humble us, that we are nothing if not for your grace. Lord, every moment we need you, just like the song that we just sang, may that be a reminder that we never forget. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to go into small groups. If you're new here today, find uh, your counselor, um, and they will lead you into your small group discussions, and we will end around uh, 930. Thank you, guys.